Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we are going to talk about political non-negotiables today. Um, As you know, we're carefully dipping our proverbial toes into the boiling waters of social justice in this new series. Um, And after this one, we're going to dive right in. Um, So no more toe dipping, but it'll be fun. Um, We got quite an outline created up uh, as to what we want to talk about on that whole subject. So hopefully you'll find it to be of value. Um, Right now we have several goals though in this whole current work that bear a little bit of explanation. Uh, The first is that there is so much heat and angst that people are talking past each other. Uh, You all know that because you've probably experienced it. Uh, We believe within the Christian circles related to this whole thing that there is common ground. But the problem is that we're possibly too quick to talk and fight that we don't actually hear. And so we have spent an inordinate amount of time listening and reading and listening and reading and reading and reading. (laughs) And still reading. Yeah. What are you reading right now? I'm reading uh, White Fragility. Yeah. Bad book. Right. Well, my whole backpack is full right now. <laughs> yeah, I've got several. I'm going away to go camping. And I've got a whole stack that I'm going to try yeah. to read well, through. We, yeah, yeah. Well, we've done, we did Color of Compromise. We got uh, Woke Church yep. by Eric Mason. Uh, There's like two or three more um, we got coming. Yeah, one done by Cambridge Press on critical theory. Critical theory, uh, yep. Race theory, yeah. So we're... And we're going to try to review all that um, in various podcasts. So in one sense, read some of these books so you don't have to, but also give you a sense of what's good in there if there is and, and what's problematic. But remember, we're try- what we're trying to do on Faith and Fable is make a distinction between what is faith and what is fable. Because frankly, in this whole social justice thing, there's a whole lot of fable going on. But it feels good and it seems like it's right to do, but it's premised on the wrong foundation. So um, there's, go ahead. Oh, well, as you say, so the first one is that there's a lot of heat and angst, and uh-huh. not a lot of material to that. But the second is there's there's critical points of truth that we can't just brush aside, and yet they just, they keep getting brushed aside. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of key doctrines that are now being enlarged and refined to allow for various secular models essentially for society, for morality and living um, to flourish in the church. Um, So just for instance, some examples of that would be all these doctrines related to justice and mercy and poverty. And of course, with all that, the gospel, what's humanity, sin is being redefined and redone. Uh, What is unity? Now, of course, with that, what is mission? Uh, All these things are just, everything's a wide open door again. And so we would look at the historical tendency of the American church to embrace the greater culture, um, which is a key problem. Um, And yet that's something that's seldom addressed and therefore resolved. So an example of that is how the visible church in many parts of the nation are encouraging an unbiblical view of 
segregation. Yeah, this is in the past. Yeah, dehumanizing of, of, of black people in the past. Yeah, um, you know, that, that didn't arise from the Bible. No. Um, you, you know, but that is something that was the result of the greater culture. And so now we reject that without any qualms, um, hopefully. Yeah, um, yeah, you and I will never say, look, we ought to make Jim Crow great laws. again. Uh, yeah, yeah, we should not treat our black brothers and sisters as something slightly less than fully human. Whatever was going on in the church when they were doing that, that was a compromise to the culture. That was not fidelity to the right. scriptures. That so, was being what we're going to call in Romans 12, conformed to this age's thinking. Right, right. Um, and then try and use a Bible verse to support that or something. Um so we would argue that the new paradigm that so many are pushing upon the people of, of God in America right now is just a different wrapping of that same type of thinking. Um, so now it's cultural Marxism and intersectionality. Um, those are not biblical ideas. No. And we're going to hopefully try and develop that. Rather, they're they're born out of a false narrative and a false foundation. Just again, like like Jim Crow laws or the KKK, things like that. that I mean, you'll find that nowhere in scripture. And yet it was amazing how much they could use scripture to, to essentially support those views. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was whole sermons talking about this in the old days. Um, and now we have whole sermons being done on the whole mystery of intersectionality and, and critical race theory. I mean, Southern Baptists are saying, yeah, this is a valid uh, in, uh, interpretation tool. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Yeah. So we would say that the church as a whole— uh, has to come to grips with whether it's believing Romans 12, 1 through 2 or not. Um, but until the the corporate church chooses to do that, individual believers have to ask themselves if they're being conformed to the thinking of this evil fallen age or if they're being transformed by the word of God um, via the renewing of the mind. Yeah, so in addition to that, we would also say that we have a lot of listeners who are not part of the United States and we want to help clarify what they're hearing on the various news outlets throughout the world. Uh, if you never travel outside of the world, you don't know how anti-American the news agency, CNN, here everywhere. in America is just overtly anti-American. And yet they're downright patriotic until you get to any other country and you watch the international CNN. They are brutal. And so you're getting this very false narrative as well of what goes on uh, within the United States. Uh, we hope to therefore help people who are not in our cultural and national context to think about how these events may affect them and theirs. Uh, we would argue that though the outward form is perhaps somewhat unique to America or Western civilization, the roots are seen in every system of society throughout the world. Yeah. And so with those as our introductory thoughts, we, we want to talk briefly about the nature of elections and voting as such, uh, because elections are coming up and people are already telling you, oh, I'm not voting for this or I'm going to vote for that. Uh, in the last episode, we dealt with the Christian in politics. And the challenge is how do we engage the political system as Christians? And we talked about four different ways that we can and should be involved politically. We said Pray for those in authority. We need to be in submission to governing authorities. These are non-negotiables. These are clearly what the scripture commands. Uh, we should seek to be an influence, and we should not put our hopes in, uh, in politics. Yeah, and in, in, in the uh, ultimate point, as we talked about how important those things were, is that it's 
also important that we never forget that Jesus is Lord over all. Uh, if we forget that Jesus is Lord, not just of us, but over all of creation and the culture and the church, then it will affect how we approach this life. Uh, in fact, we'd argue that when we remember the Lordship of Jesus, it actually would embolden us to the gospel. Um, and, and part of the gospel is that Jesus is Lord, and so in him all things will be made right. And that's actually where true justice comes, is the hope that the one who is the just ruler will come and make all things right. Right. Yeah, and in fact, I would argue that's why the Great Commission begins with, and all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's not until after he establishes that point that he then says, go therefore and do this. And so what's motivating discipleship and the spread of the gospel and the church is the authority of Christ, his lordship, in other words. Um, but th there's a natural corollary to Jesus as Lord. What's that? Oh, well, that's that we're, we're also therefore called to follow him <laughs> as Lord. And there again is where the wheels come off in so many uh, situations. And so as we think of the Lordship of Christ, we need to think about it in the realm of politics and voting. What does it look like to exercise our responsibilities as citizens while under the Lordship of Christ? If we're going to do this, then we need to see the grid work through which we are to make our decisions. So Matthew 28, 19, it says, teaching those who wish to be Jesus's follow, uh, disciples to obey all they commanded them. So what commands of God should affect how we vote? That, that's the question I would ask in that debate is, okay, have you even done a Bible study to begin to develop up clear non-negotiables? Or John 8, 31 uh, where Jesus looked at people who claimed to now believe in him. And he said, only those who abide or remain in the word shall truly be his disciples. And so my question to people would be, does your method and rationale in voting reflect an abiding in the word of God? Or in 2 John 1, 9, Jesus says, if we do not remain in Christ's teachings, then we do not have God. Or Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word or verse 11, your word I treasured in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin against you, including in the voting booth or uh, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But if you're not aware of the word, as you're going down the path of how you're going to vote and establish policy, you're in darkness. And so the point is this, if we're going to be wise voters, and voters who are consistent with our Lord, we must have the Bible inform us on how to vote. And we are consistently alarmed as pastors at how many professing Christians will allow a non-Christian and even apostates to inform them on lifestyle and decisions such as how one should vote. It just, you and well, I have yeah. private talks about this. It's like, why would he care one bit what this guy thinks? Yeah, the, the, in the the... I mean, it's very alarming, and we haven't talked much about this, but for me, it's I can't. It's hard for me to reconcile how. I mean, we've literally seen a man share the post. I mean, this is a professing Christian, but he'll share the post of someone who we know is an overtly God-hating person about what's going on in the political realm or this culture at large. And I'm like, how do you reconcile that? How can a Christian who is supposed to have the spirit of God be in lockstep from literally everything to politics to parenting with God-hating people. 
I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. No, uh, it, it gets into the whole idea of how we're supposed to be countercultural and our minds are being, again, we're going right. to beat this passage death, but our minds must be renewed daily in the word. And, and that means an ever increasing nonconformity to whatever the world is. So in the days of slavery, the Christians, sadly, they were too many were not, right. but the Christians should have been going countercultural to that and and saying, no, we are made, all of us, in the image of God, not somewhat in the image. Now we're having this whole new conversation going on, and even though it's not really a conversation. And and again, we're just now parroting again more garbage that comes from an unredeemed mind and an unredeemed goal. Um, rather than reflecting that the word of God and the lordship of Christ, yeah, I, I could even give you a simple example. Um, how often Christians commit a, a, a major sin because they have an inordinate love for money, um, and the result is that they end up voting out of greed and covetousness and envy. And this is still a great evil. I I, I don't know if I can make sense of it, but. How many times people are concerned, well, look at what he's done for our economy. And it's like, in every wicked way, yes, and the and rich are prospering, but is if the economy is your sole primary basis for voting, then you're what what is your love? Is your love of truth or is your love for money? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. A lot of times we're we're thinking purely how we can get more money or save more money or gain more money, get more rich. It's just a love of evil and it's a great evil. So what we're going to consider is what are some of the non-negotiables for any Christian who desires to obey Jesus and his word with regard to voting? So uh, with that. So we're going to, yeah, we're going to look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Uh, it's a, it's a very, it's a famous one. Um, but it says this, it says there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes. Seven, which are an abomination to him. And then he lists them. He says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. So seven things, and many argue that the seventh one is the worst, um, that it's that um, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven. And so they argue that it's a way that the last one is even the worst of the worst. But this is very simple. All we're saying is when we're thinking about voting, what are some non-negotiables? Well, there are seven things that the Bible says <laughs> yeah, the Lord hates. Right. It's not that he dislikes or shakes his head or clucks his tongue at. He hates these things. So what's the first one? So the first one, um, he says here, it's haughty eyes. Quite simply, that's just pride. Yeah, uh, You can just sum it up that way. I mean, underneath the... These seven descriptions, there's the underlying principle or sin. And, and so these aren't going to be deep no. because they're pretty simple. Yeah, we'll go rather quick here probably. But the first one's pride. Um, so we would say in light of that, humility um, needs to be a, a major point of examination when you're considering a candidate at whatever level you're voting on. Um, we should take care not to confuse pride, though, at the same time with with confidence in leadership. Yeah, a leader is 
naturally going to be confident and he's going to be aggressive or she's going to be aggressive. That's just part of being a leader. They're, they're saying, come follow me. I, I think I know the right way, but there's also that sheer arrogance that you see coming from so many of the politicians. Um, and the question is, do you want that? Do you want something that the Lord hates in, in an office that's now going to establish public policy that you're then going to have to follow or deal right. with the consequences? Yeah. So what's the next one? Uh, well, the next one would be liar. And as we're going through these, again, I mean, people have said this over and over again, but you're not trying to elect a pastor. So they're not going to be perfect. No. They're a sinful man or woman who is, in most cases, utterly unredeemed. Um, so if you're looking for perfection or you're trying to hold up First Timothy 3 as the qualifications for what a president or a senator or whatever should be, um, you're going to miss it. But the second one here is uh, a liar. Um, what does he say? Oh, a lying tongue. Yeah. Um, truth is, of course, paramount to any form of justice. Uh, if the candidate's given to lies, then we would just simply say that that is the mark of an unjust leader. Yeah, I just read an article. Uh, Kamala Harris is, uh, they're thinking she's a front runner for Biden. And right now the Wikipedia article is being in extremely edited. Um, I mean, hundreds of edits in the last few days uh, on cleaning and scrubbing anything where before she would was very pro law and because she claimed that she was all about justice and we need to prosecute. Now, all of a sudden, that's going away because that's not going to what's going to preach. Well, hasten to add, you can flip that over with a guy like Trump as well. Yeah. Um, all of that, that idea of lying, though, um, you'll never find justice flowing from a, a person whose right. propensity is to give you a lie and say whatever you need to say to get by. Which is most politics. Which is sad, yeah. yeah. Um, another one would be the shedding of innocent blood. Um, this is a huge one in our nation today, and it comes under various forms, but it all is still murder, murders. You Just consider the evil of abortion or now euthanasia. I When I was young, Nobody did that. Now it's just accepted that it's okay to just. Usually driven by money. Oh, yeah. Uh, infanticide and even assisted suicide. All of this is actually the shedding of innocent blood. This is not your place to do. Uh, it's a huge sin of our nation. We participate it, in it, though, when we vote for a candidate who openly, willfully supports it via laws and policy. Uh, another one that he says is devises wicked plans. Now, this one can be a bit hard to see. Um, at first, at least, it requires that you pay close attention to the history of those who run for office. You know, what kind of a person has this person been? Um, so the question is, what are ways that wicked plans are devised by our politicians? And we would say things like, um, we see wicked plans all the time in the types of curriculum that gets established in schools or health policies or homosexual agendas, uh, money being used in support for so-called art. I mean, it, it's ex exceedingly subtle, but there's all kinds of things where you, like when we had the COVID thing hit and the that relief bill came through for like $17 trillion that we don't have. Sure. But then you start finding out that in it was 350 or something million dollars for Planned Parenthood. And everyone shoved in their pet projects and stuff like that. That's wicked plans. It yeah. was like, you don't care about the American people there. You're going to give everybody a couple grand 
and say, aren't, aren't we good to you? But the people doing great wickedness are also having yeah. money just being funneled to them. Right. Another one is tendency toward evil. Uh, this one is seen in this phrase of feet that run rapidly to evil. Uh, again, th- th- this one's a hard one to see as well uh, at first because it requires that careful examination um, of the person before you vote. Um, there's always a reality of change that might take place in a person's life. And you should seek to take note of that. But what you have to be aware of is if this is a person who consistently chooses evil or good. And for that, you're going to have to examine the record. Um, right. what, what, what has their work shown over the course of years? How have they voted? What are the bills they've supported? Those kinds of things. Right, right. Is it tendency toward wicked, evil, unbiblical things or not? Right. And then you have a false witness, which is the worst, if you will. Um, Now, this is actually more than a liar. Um, It actually speaks of when you take formal or give formal testimony in an official sense. Uh, You take the oath of truthfulness and and you choose to lie. So when I was a cop, I had to testify a lot. And I I said something like, uh, I can't remember exactly how it went, but to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That is what you're giving the oath. And then you had to say, so help me God. And so you were taking an oath there. And, and what you were saying is, all I'm going to give you is the truth, nothing but the truth, and only the truth. And then how many people lied through their teeth then at that? I think one of the great shames we do in our country is that we don't imprison people for perjury. It's like the moment you find a person's perjured themselves, they should just go to prison. Um, I'm, I'm really brutal about that. It's like we've got, into, once you lose truth, mm-hmm. um, there's no hope for justice. Yeah. So anyhow, um, this is what makes it, though, a great sin. It perverts that way of justice. Yeah. And then a final one is and one who spreads strife among brothers. Uh, quite simply, this is just a factious person. Um, you know, so th- there's those who are peacemakers um, and they want peace. And then there's those simply who are not. They're just interested in getting what they want. Um, it's the one It's one thing to stand for your principles, but it's another thing to purposely create a wedge between people. Um, and see, we see this being done commonly in, in race politics. Uh, the candidate tries to pit one race against another, but why? Uh, well, for the sake of votes. Um, it's often done even through what are just called ad hominem attacks where the person, um, it's not the argument or the things that right. the, the principles that they stand for. It's rather attack against the person themselves. And the basis is their belief or policies. Um, and so that, that's just a factious person. That is not a, a person you want leading really anything. So there you go. Um, when you're thinking about voting, it's not just a few issues that should sway you is what we're trying to say. You should seek to vote for the one who best represents you because that is what you're saying when you vote for a person, whether you knew it or not. Uh, you believe that they will best represent your views and standards. So then what does that say if you claim Christ, but you vote for a person whose life is known for the things that God abhors? The same idea is present when you consider supporting any movements that take place. Just look at uh, the BLM movement. Look at their website. Look at what they stand for. And all you have to ask is, does that movement represent you and your faith? Does it represent the Lordship of Christ, right? But we're going to develop that in future episodes. So it's it's a simple podcast, but 
it's going to make you very uncomfortable because you're going to find that most of your candidates, you can't in good conscience vote for. Right. Um, and it sucks. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not real pastoral maybe, but it really sucks. It's frustrating that you can't look at a man and say, this is a godly man. Um, I could vote for Pence. Sure. I think I could. Um, I'm not, I, I still, I, there's no way I can vote for, um, Biden mm -hmm. for multiple reasons, but I look at Trump, I, I, I didn't vote for him before and I'm not sure I can still, I'm like, he's doing better than Biden. And that's what most people are going to do. They're going to go purely on. Yeah, but worse to get Biden. It's like, so I should remove my Trump sticker from my car is what you're saying. You don't have a Trump <laughs> sticker. Do you No. We're getting emails <laughs> yeah. on both sides on this no. one. It's well, neither one of us voted for Trump. No, uh, and it's 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 a real struggle though. Um, and I, we got we got lambasted for it too. Yep. Um, but it's like, look, guys, there's certain things that are non-negotiables, and and the, and either they really are or they're not. That's all we're saying yeah. is let's just strip away all of the but 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 and just say God hates these things. Right. God hates these things. Yeah. We, we we're we're gonna make a complex because. It's what we always keep going back to: pragmatics versus principles. Um, you know, the a lot of this uh, arguments for well, Supreme Court that comes into play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Justice Roberts and Gorsuch are doing a phenomenal just, job. Yeah, but that's a pragmatic argument that's not based on principles necessarily. And so, um, what we're saying is we're looking at the character of the man or the woman themselves, because ultimately from that will flow everything they do or don't do. It also shows you how limited your choices are, and that, and for I I I think that many Christians we're at the state in our nation that we need to be rethinking what our role in society is. Is it going to be is it going to be happening through societal change and government, or is it going to be happening on a much more neighborhood by neighborhood level where we begin to infiltrate and affect at a very grassroots level? with Christian men and women, again, like we talked about last week, um, going into school boards, um, getting becoming an alderman that we have around here, or mayor, those types of things, where we start to affect on a smaller level, but even on a different scale where we actually realize that we're not going to win anyone through politics. It has to be through the gospel of Jesus Christ, but yeah, that's absolutely. for another day as well. Yeah. So these are just... Again, beginning thoughts, and we're going to try and develop this more. But until then, we'd say make sure to tune in, join this conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on political non-negotiables and the Christian. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, tell a friend. <laughs>